You're listening to Smith Talk with Keith Smith. That would be me, free-thinking American educator, bringing you conservative commentary and analysis on the news of the moment, along with life advice and random facts. Currently, I teach civics and economics to high school seniors. I am a U.S. military veteran, active duty Air Force, Army National Guard, and Air Force Reserve. Thanks for listening. Welcome to this first episode of Smith Talk. This last week, the big headline was Nancy Pelosi's upcoming trip to Asia and the possibility that she might stop in Taiwan and a lot of saber rattling from the People's Republic of China that would be Communist China. The Republic of China, that would be the island of Taiwan. For those of you who may not be aware, let's give you a little bit of background and history on this. Post-World War II, there was a civil war in China. You had the nationalists under the leadership of Chiang Kai-shek. Not a perfect uh, system, a lot of corruption there, a lot of issues, a lot of problems, but it was a democratic government. It was a government that fought against the Japanese occupation, in fact, did most of the fighting. And as soon as the war was over, uh, with the assistance of the Soviet Union, Mao Zedong and the Communist Party of China, set about to doing what they were intent upon doing before the before the Japanese invaded China during World War II, and that was complete takeover of China and imposition of communist rule, similar to what they had in the Soviet Union, a la Vladimir Lenin. In fact, uh, Mao stylized himself as Vladimir, as the, the Chinese version of Vladimir Lenin, and later Stalin, there was later a falling out between Stalin and Mao. However, um, the civil war uh, lasted several years. And long story short, the nationalists got the short end of the stick and fled. Chiang Kai-shek fled mainland China with the seat of government and moved it to the island of Taiwan, to Taipei, Taiwan. Taiwan is an island just a couple hundred miles off the coast of China. It has always been a province of China. And the idea was to continue the fight from Taiwan and eventually for the nationalists to move back to the mainland and take over the government there and overthrow the communist regime. Well, obviously that never happened. And for a long period of time, the United States recognized the Republic of China, or what we call Taiwan today, as the actual legitimate government of China. We did not recognize the communist government of China. Uh, Mao Zedong proceeded to starve millions of his people with the complicity and assistance of the Soviet Union and the Soviet dictatorship. He established a series of gulags. He did all the things that communist leaders do in their effort to force upon people the communist utopia, right? The revolution that's going to eventually lead to a utopia. Well, Mao ended up murdering between 50 and 70 million of his own people. Mao Zedong is the greatest mass murderer in human history, probably. Um, and most people don't know that. And my students are always surprised to find out these types of things about Mao Zedong and about the People's Republic of China. 
Move forward to the 1970s and Richard Nixon. Well, Richard Nixon thought it would be a good idea to open up relations with China. Remember, Nixon had all these other things going on. And what a lot of presidents will do when they have low polling numbers or they have domestic issues and they want to try to take the focus away from that, well, they go on a trip, they go overseas, they go make a deal somewhere, they go sign a treaty. Well, that's what kind of, uh, kind of what Nixon did with the assistance of his Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, who initially told him it was probably not a good idea, but then jumped on board and went full speed ahead with normalizing re relations with the People's Republic of China. And in the process, what we did was turn our back on the Republic of China, the Free Republic of China, the legitimate government of China in Taiwan, because that was one of the conditions that the Chinese communists set forth for doing business with them. And so what we had to do, we and the rest of the West led by the United States in order to open up trade with China. And we thought at the time, you know, Hey, you know, they're going to copy us and they'll, we can, we can trade with them and they will adopt our ideas and principles and so on and so forth. And it will lead to regime change or a change in thinking in China. Well, obviously that hasn't happened either. The Chinese communists realized, in fact, Deng Xiaoping, who succeeded Mao Zedong, realized that in order for the Chinese to fulfill their long-term goal of becoming a world superpower, that they were going to have to play the global capitalist game. And what did China have to offer the world? Well, China, about the only thing they have had to offer at the time that they opened up was cheap labor. And we know what's happened since then. Go Do the China challenge. Go into Walmart, walk through the store, and randomly select items off the shelf, not in the food section. Most of our food is domestically produced. But walk through any other section of the store, housewares, toys, whatever. Randomly select items off the shelf and see how long it takes you to find 10 things that were not made in China. Right? So. When I say we turned our back on the legitimate government of China in Taipei, Taiwan, I mean that we literally turned our back on them. We closed our embassies there and we officially recognized the Communist Party of China as the legitimate government of China. And we accepted the policy that there is only one China and that eventually Taiwan and China will be reunited, kind of like the Hong Kong situation um, in 1999 when the British handed Hong Kong, which was a, kind of a similar situation, was a, it was a colony of the British Empire, and they handed it back to the Chinese with the idea that they would have one country and two systems. Well, we see how that's going now. The Chinese waited 20 years, and now they're dropping the hammer on the people of Hong Kong, and they're trying to get out of Dodge, those that can. and there is no dissent allowed. Another thing that we did to Taiwan was we took away their seat on the Security Council, the permanent seat on the United Nations Security Council. Um, there are only a few nations that have permanent seats on the United Nations Security Council. China was one of those at the end of World War II, and they held that seat. Taiwan, the Republic of China, held that seat until the United States led the world in recognizing the People's Republic of China as the legitimate government of China. And they yanked that vote away on the UN Security Council from Taiwan and handed it to the communists. Well, I got news for you. Peace to China is the absence of opposition. To us in the West, to free people, 
people in the United States, peace is the absence of threat, the absence of conflict, the presence of justice, these types of things. To the Communist Party of China, and I'm and I'm ripping a page out of Rush Limbaugh's playbook here, but if in 1988, Rush Limbaugh published 35 Undeniable Truths, right? And number 13 on that list was in the Soviet Union, peace means the absence of opposition. Well, I'm going to update that. I'm going to update it for today, and I'm going to say the People's Republic of China, Communist China. Peace to them is the absence of opposition. If you oppose them, you will go against the party line. They're going to, to resist. They're going to fight against it, and you are not going to have peaceful coexistence with them if you go against what they want, right? And we see that now with all the saber rattling going on over a visit from the Speaker of the House of the United States, very powerful person, third in line in, this in the line of presidential succession. So if enough people die, Nancy Pelosi gets to become president of the United States. Please don't let that happen. And so the Chinese are not pleased about this. And so consequently, President Biden had a two-hour phone call with his contemporary Xi Jinping. And I got news for you. The president of the United States and the people that are running this country right now have no clue about how to deal with the Chinese, about how to deal with adversarial nations. The People's Republic of China is at war, de facto war with the United States, and they have been for a long time. They're, it's not what you say, it's what you do. You can show me better than you, than you can tell me. And right now, China is showing me and showing the world that they are at war. I'm going to read here. This is the White House press release on this two-hour phone call that President Biden had with Xi Jinping, the leader of the People's Republic of China. I'd love to, I would love to see the actual transcript of that phone call between Xi and, and I mean, in fact, why don't they just release it when, when there was all the controversy over the phone call between Volodymyr Zelensky and Donald Trump, the phone call that got him impeached the first time around, uh, he released the transcript. The president said, all right, whatever, release a transcript. Release the transcript. I'd love to see it, but this is what it says. So this is uh, what the White House told us. President Joseph R. Biden spoke today with President Xi Jinping of the People's Republic of China. The call was part of the Biden administration's efforts to maintain and deepen lines of communication between the United States and the PRC and responsibly manage our differences and work together where our interests align. The call follows a two-leaders conversation on March 18th and a series of conversation conversations between high-level U.S. and PRC officials. The two presidents discussed a range of issues important to the bilateral relationship and other regional and global issues and tasked their teams to continue following up on today's conversation in particular to address climate change and health security. On Taiwan, President Biden underscored that the United States policy has not changed and that the United States strongly opposes unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. So there you have it. And this is what they what they talked about. I, President Biden can't seem to get through a five-minute press conference without uh, stumbling over his words or, or messing up on the teleprompter. I I don't know how he did this two-hour phone call with President Xi, but that's a story for another day. So of all the things that the president could bring up, it says here, they discussed a range of issues important to the bilateral relationship and other regional and global issues 
Most important things that they talked about, among others, climate change and health security. The president say to uh, Xi, say, hey, Xi, uh, make sure you don't let anything out of the Wuhan lab again. Don't infect us with another pandemic. Or at least if it happens, don't cover it up until the whole world is infected. Basically, the Chinese decided once they got COVID, whether it came from a wet market or the Wuhan lab, and I tend to think that it was the latter based on the evidence that's out there, that the Chinese just decided, well, if, if we're going to get it, everybody's going to get it. And they covered it up. They shut down flights within China, domestic flights from Wuhan to any other point in China, but they continued to allow international flights in and out of Wuhan while they knew that there was a problem. How can you tell that the communists are lying? How can you tell that Xi Jinping is not saying the truth? Bad joke here, but his lips are probably, probably his lips are moving. And this other issue that they, that the president addressed here with China, particular importance, climate change, climate change of all the things he could have brought up with China and that they could have listed here. He lists health security. I kind of get that with the COVID, the whole COVID thing. Hopefully he told Xi what I, what I just said, but I doubt that. Right. And climate change, the sea level is going to rise and everything's going to flood. I got news for you. The Chinese, in fact, Xi Jinping had to be laughing on the inside, and they probably laugh every time they hear the United States or a United States leader, a politician, engage them and engage their diplomats and blather on about climate change. The last thing on the radar of China or any developing nation is climate change. China does absolutely does not care about climate change. Well, but, you know, they say that's important and they, you know, they're investing in green energy. No, they're not. The Chinese are building islands on shoals in the South China Sea and weaponizing. They're essentially building these huge naval bases, naval and missile bases. What they are are stationary guided missile cruisers. I say stationary because it's on an island and it's not moving, right? They're stationary guided missile cruisers and stationary aircraft carriers all over the South China Sea. China claims the South China Sea. If you look at a map and you look at the area between Tai south of Taiwan, west of the Philippines, all the way down to Southeast Asia. In fact, the Philippines, Vietnam, um, Indonesia, they have beef with China over this region. China claims illegally, according to international law, because international law says that your maritime borders extend 12 nautical miles out from your coast. Well, China's just like, nope, South China, South China Sea belongs to us. And so what they're doing is they're taking these islands and they are building these huge naval bases. And these are man-made islands that are maybe one meter above sea level. And they're building these huge permanent installations with missile silos and military bases and barracks and airfields. You really think that the Chinese Communist Party believes that the sea level is going to rise? Well, you know, you know, but they're maybe they're doing something about climate change, this this idea of of human-caused climate change. And maybe the Chinese are, you know, maybe that will be a reason for them to really try to reduce their emissions and this type of thing. I got news for you. The Chinese absolutely do not care. Here's a headline from February of last year. February of last year, China built three times as much coal power in 2020. So this is February 2021. China built three times as much coal power in 2020 as the rest of the world combined. And they continue that trend. They continued it all the way 
through 2022, China is building coal-fired energy plants. That what China what China does have a lot of is coal. They don't have oil. They've got some minerals. They cut down all their forests, and the communists destroyed all the forests. But they got coal, and they are. It's estimated that in 2019, China put out 27% of the world's greenhouse gases. China does not care. Here's an article from just this last uh, just this last month. July 21st, 2022. Here's a headline. China approves $458 million coal project amid power crisis. China's National Energy Commission, NEA, said Thursday it approved a coal mine project worth 3.1 billion yuan, equivalent to $458 million in the country's inner Mongolia autonomous region. So they're going to build a huge coal mine with a capacity of uh, producing 4 million, 4 million tons a year with phase one at 1.2 million tons and phase two at 2.8 million tons with the goal of reaching 4 million tons of coal in a year. China also is the top financier of coal-fired energy production all over the world, Chinese banks. China does not care one whit about climate change. They do not believe that the earth is, that the earth is going to heat up if they do this. Obviously, they don't, and they don't care, and they're going to do it. Are we going to tell 40% of the world, 40% of the world's population, that would be China and India, really, are we going to tell them, hey, guess what, guys, go back to living in the mud huts, you can't have electricity, because essentially that's what we're telling them with, this, with, with green energy, right? When we say to them, you have to use solar, you need to use wind, and let's, let's all come together on this, China and India are not going to do it. It doesn't matter one bit what we do in the United States. In fact, in the West, the United States and Western Europe, we have some of the, of the most stringent emissions laws and cleanest, cleanest air in the world comparatively. And I don't know how we go much farther down this road without absolutely destroying our economy. If we're already following these very strict guidelines, why are we going to continue down this road when it's not going to make a bit of difference? China and and and, and that is if you buy the whole line that climate change is caused by human activity. That's a topic for another day. Um, another time we'll talk about climate, uh, climate change, uh, climate alarmists, climate skeptics, climate deniers, which I personally believe is a very derogatory term. They went and they said, what can, what can we call these folks that are, are, we're calling themselves climate skeptics. And they said, let's call them climate deniers. And they got that from the term Holocaust denier, uh, anti-Semitic, Nazi sympathizers that deny that the Holocaust happened. So um, in this phone call, here's another headline for you. China's Xi threatens Biden over Taiwan in two-hour phone call. Playing with fire will set you on fire, quote, is what he said. And I read here, this is an, uh, an article from the Epoch Times. President Joe Biden held a phone call with Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping on July 28th. That would be last week. The call was the fifth of its kind between Biden and Xi and lasted more than two hours. The call amid a myriad of tensions that have caused Sino-U.S. relations to fall to their lowest point in decades, despite a decreasing willingness by the Chinese Communist Party to negotiate on most issues. The White House stated that it's important to keep the lines of communication open between the two powers. The president wants to make sure that the lines of communication with President Xi remain open because they need to. Chinese state-owned media outlets stated that the exchange was candid and in-depth. Xi reportedly told Biden that it was the duty of the two major powers to manage global security 
and urged Biden not to view the CCP through the lens of strategic competition. Oh my. Yeah, of course he doesn't want us to look at him like that. To that end, Xi's conversation with Biden focused heavily on Taiwan. Playing with fire will set you on fire, Xi told Biden. I hope you can see this clearly. So we call up China and the president of the United States spends time, wastes his time talking about climate change while Xi got straight to the point here, it sounds like, and he told the president what was up. Would the leader of the People's Republic of China have said this to Ronald Reagan? Would he have said it to perhaps George W. Bush? Would he have said it to Donald Trump? I doubt it. Would he have said it to John F. Kennedy? Well, obviously China wasn't open at the times, but if we could, we could engage in a little anachronism here and superimpose John F. Kennedy into this time period, I can guarantee you that he would not. Why would he not? Because those were all strong leaders. They were strong leaders. Right now, the bad actors of the world, they're like sharks. They smell the blood in the water and they see that they have about two years, two and a half more years with this current administration. They're going to get everything they can. We see this with Vladimir Putin and the invasion of Ukraine. Will China act militarily against Taiwan? I don't know. I can't say. Is it in their playbook to do so? I believe so. When the moment is right, when Taiwan feels, or when China feels that they can take Taiwan and do it successfully and get away with it, they will do it. The Biden administration, absolutely, and frankly, uh, most Democrats just do not get the fact, the idea that the world is governed by the aggressive use of force to borrow another phrase from the great one Rush Limbaugh. The world is indeed governed by the aggressive use of force or the threat, the credible, legitimate threat of the use of force. As I mentioned, the communist for the Communist Party of China, peace is not the absence of conflict, not simply the absence of conflict. It is the absence of all opposition. China wants to be number one. They want to displace the United States as the top global superpower. That's what they've wanted for a long time, and that's what they're working toward. But this administration just absolutely does not get it. Listen to this clip. This is President Biden, then candidate Biden. And this is on the campaign trail in 2019. And him talking about how foolish uh, uh, Donald Trump is or was to suggest that China was, quote, going to eat our lunch and that our trade war that we got into with the Chinese during the Trump administration, which is looking like Biden administration is going to lift tariffs. We'll see what happens there. How that was a bunch of nonsense. So go ahead and listen to this clip here and um, we'll talk about it. China is going to eat our lunch. Come on, man. They can't even figure out how to deal with the, 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 the fact that they have this great division between the China Sea and the mountains in the east, I mean, in the west. They can't figure out how they're going to deal with the corruption that exists within the system. I mean, I, you know, they're not bad folks, folks, but guess what? They're not a they're, they're not, they're competition for us. But here's we are. We're in a situation where right now we have the, not only the strongest military in the world, 
We have led not by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That's why the rest of the world has it referred to. Not a joke. This audio really illustrates just how out of touch Joe Biden is with reality. And I would add to that any liberal Democrat or leftist who would suggest or think that somehow our example to China and us going around apologizing for the supposed evils of our society and our systemic issues and our injustices in the United States, and they need to look at our example. And, it, you know, what did he say? We're, we're going to lead not by the power of our military might. I'm paraphrasing here. Not by the, not by the power. He said, oh, yeah, we got a great military, strongest one in the world. But, you know, that's not what's going that, to, that's not how we're going to lead the world. We're going to lead with our progressive example. Well, I got news for you and anybody else who would buy that. The Chinese don't care one whit about what happens in the United States as far as justice or injustice or our system or our people, the people of the United States, beyond how they can manipulate that to their advantage. That's it. What China does understand is military might and force and the willingness to use it. And right now, the signals that we're sending are dangerous. Of course, this is in 2019. And why did Joe Biden say this? Well, he, he said what he really believes. And he said it because he was on the campaign trail and he wanted to critique Trump's posture and trade war with China. Trump was the one that came out and said repeatedly that China was eating our lunch, which they were in, in tariffs when it comes to tariffs and trades. Don't get me wrong. I'm a pro-free trade person when it comes to economics, but it has to be fair. There has to be a level playing field and trade deals have to be mutually beneficial. I'm all in favor of free trade to the extent that it is mutually beneficial to both sides. And the deal that we have with China or the deals that we did have with China were not wholly beneficial to the United States. They could have been better. And, and I am in favor of complete divestment of Ch from China, completely divesting from China because China is our adversary and China takes every dollar that they get from us in trade and uses it against us by doing things like building aircraft carriers. Did you know that the United States Navy is not the world's largest Navy? Most powerful, yes. We have the, the best trained military in the world at this time anyway. But China's Navy is double the size of ours, and they're building aircraft carriers and submarines and missile cruisers and all of these things as fast as they can, in addition to weaponizing the South China Sea. A nation builds aircraft carriers and carrier groups to project power, global power. Same with nuclear submarines or, or submarines carrying ballistic missiles and things like this. This really illustrates just how out of touch uh, the president, how out of touch candidate Biden was. And I'm going to roll another cut here. Kind of interesting. This is a little bit of a Reuters report from February of 2021. So February of last year on this topic. Uh, I was on the phone for two straight hours with Xi Jinping. U.S. President Joe Biden issued a stern warning about China on Thursday, calling it America's most serious competitor and saying the U.S. must up its game or China would, quote, eat our lunch. If we don't get moving, they're going to eat our lunch. Biden's comments came during a meeting with a bipartisan group of senators on the need to upgrade U.S. infrastructure. The president referenced a two-hour phone call he had with Chinese President Xi Jinping the night before, his first with Xi since taking office, and how China was ramping up its railroad and electric vehicle technology, 
urging that similar infrastructure improvements were among the areas the U.S. needed to focus on in order to compete. They're, they're going to invest a lot of money. They're investing billions of dollars in dealing with a whole range of issues that relate to transportation, the environment, and a whole range of other things. So we just have to step up. So there you have it, Joe Biden unwittingly admitting that Donald Trump was right a year later. So in 2019 on the campaign trail, come on, man, China's not going to eat our lunch. And here we have it, the president saying they're going to eat our lunch. However, I would not count this as an, a, a, some sort of great awakening or aha moment for the president. The context of this report was a meeting between, between the president and senators, bipartisan group on infrastructure, a topic near and dear to the president's heart. When he says infrastructure, what he really means is spending tons of money and raising taxes and then going and going, turning around and handing that money to firms that are in the green energy quote business, solar and so forth, a la Solyndra, for those of you who may remember that. Those of you too young to remember Solyndra, Google it, look it up, see if it's still out there on the web. I'm sure it is. They totally missed the point with this, right? The president, what does he say here? China is going to beat us. They're going to eat our lunch because they're investing in infrastructure and we're not. They're investing in transportation and energy and we're not. Holy cow. I'll tell you what China's investing in. I just said it. China's investing in military might and military power. And they're building coal-fired power plants as fast as they can. When it comes to energy, that's their plan. They also want oil. They're going to buy, they are buying oil from Russia at discount rates right now. And everybody in China wants a car and everybody wants to have cheap electricity and everybody wants, you know, they want their factories to run. They want people to have houses to live in and be able to heat and cool them and so forth. And they're building dirty coal, pal dirty coal fired electric generating plants. In the United States, we have the capacity to do the same thing only to do it cleanly and build coal fired power plants that clean the emissions that remove most of that junk out of the air, out of most of the pollutants out of the air before it goes through the smokestack. And we have the capability to do that. Uh, yet we refuse to expand it. In fact, with the, the new legislation that the president is going to sign this week, the one that Joe Manchin signed off on, which is totally blows my mind because it's going to kill coal mining in his state of West Virginia. I, I don't see how he reconciles that with his constituency that remains to be seen but we have declared war on fossil fuel energy in the united states china on the other hand realizes that that's the only way that they're going to be able to overtake the united states and they absolutely don't care what it does to the environment they don't care that their people may get sick that they may breathe dirty air i mean look at the two the 2008 beijing olympics or would they have to do shut everything all the factories down in beijing and told people they couldn't drive cars and just shut the whole thing down and seeded the air to try to make it rain to clean the air up and even then it was filthy breathing the air in beijing china is like smoking a pack or two of cigarettes a day depending on the air quality of the day so the chinese government absolutely does not care the Chinese people are expendable pawns.
Check out Year of the Rooster, first 72 hours on Amazon.com. It's available in Kindle format for $2.99 or for free if you have Kindle Unlimited $7.99 paperback version. Year of the Rooster is a novel of historical fiction about war between the United States and China. Far-fetched? Could China pursue global dominance via conflict? If one looks to human history for an answer to this question, the answer is yes. So far, all great empires were born of conflict. All great empires and nations have historically had to fight to maintain their place of dominance. What then would a conflict of this sort look like? How would it begin? The historical record is rife with instances of surprise attack. If you want to be scared out of your mind, take a look at Year of the Rooster, first 72 hours on Amazon.com. To wrap up this segment on Biden, Xi, China, and this phone call, news out the day after the phone call, headline reads, China accuses White House of lying about Biden bringing up genocide and forced labor with Xi Jinping. China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs denied the White House's claim that President Biden addressed genocide and forced labor on a call with Chinese President Xi Jinping. White House Press Secretary Karen Jean-Pierre on Thursday... Karine Jean-Pierre on Thursday told the media that the president raised ethical concerns over forced labor and ethnic genocide in China. The Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs denied the allegation conversation entirely, saying, according to the White House press secretary, genocide and forced labor came up in last night's call between Chinese and U.S. presidents. That is disinformation. Pure lies. Ministry of Foreign Affairs of China spokesperson Li Zhanjiao said of the White House's claim, White House the White House spokesperson said the issues of genocide and forced labor were mentioned in the call last night. That is false information. If you're not aware, China has been, wrong, uh, been accused of wrongfully imprisoning millions of Uyghurs in the Xinjiang region, as well as carrying out forced sterilizations, abortions, basically committing ethnic genocide against a minority population within their country, sending people to what they call re-education facilities and combating uh, what China alleges is Islamic extremism. So who do we believe in this? Do we believe uh, Joe or do we believe Xi, the White House or Xi? Did the president bring it up? Did he not? I would like to believe that the president indeed did bring it up. Who knows? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Again, as I say, release the transcript of it. Release the transcript. Shoot, release the audio. This gets recorded and there's several people listening in. Release it and prove the Chinese wrong. Prove the Chai comms wrong. I call upon, I know they're not going to hear this. Little old me with a podcast on the internet. Prove them wrong. We could also title that headline, China disses on Joe Biden because they know he's weak. The president of the United States will not release the transcript. The president will not release the call. And why did China, even, even if it's true, even if the, you know, and like I said, I like to believe this, even if it is true, why would the Chinese even say this? Why would they come out and say it? Well, they come out and say it because they have no respect for the president of the United States. Check out my blog, The Smith Papers, at smithpapers.com. You can learn a little bit more about my background there. And if you like reading about history, you'll probably enjoy my blog. Again, take a look at smithpapers.com. Changing gears here a little bit, kind of a funny story from this last weekend. 
went to the mall first time in a while. I don't like the mall, don't like shopping, don't like going to stores, avoid it when I can, but took my kids to the mall, went to go local mall here and went to see the new Minions movie, which if you haven't seen, if you have kids, take them to see it. It's a good movie, not woke. If you've seen one Minion movie, you've seen them all. I'll say that. The Minions are funny. The Minions are cute. Grandma and Grandpa went with us. And by the end of the movie, when they were rolling the credits, Grandpa stood up and started dancing the disco music. Anyway, that's not what this is about. Took off uh, into the mall to do a little bit of school shopping. And I actually, at the moment, was headed to the Dairy Queen with my two boys. And walking past all the stores, the different clothing stores and everything, we, we got to where Victoria's Secret was. And usually I don't pay attention to that stuff. Try to walk by and try not to look at it. Happily married, man. I don't need to go and stare at those posters. But anyway, the six-year-old all of a sudden says, what's that? And, it, and my wife was kind of walking in front of us. She, she turned around and she said he just had this he had this look of shock on his face. What's that? Look, it's a fat lady in underwear. You know, little kids say what they think. And so I look and the 12-year-old just starts cracking up. And the six, and then the six-year-old, the, the look of shock goes away and he just starts cracking up. So on the adverse, on the outside of Victoria's Secret, they had this. It looked like they took Jabba the Hutt and put Jabba the Hutt in a bra and panties. Sorry, I know, I, I mean, I, I'm not the perfect physical specimen, nobody is, but I thought Victoria's Secret was in the business of selling women's underclothing. Anyway, they had this this woman, This the model was morbidly obese, and my boys thought that was just hilarious. You know, it, Victoria's, I, I recall seeing uh, oh, news about it maybe a year ago or two that said they were going to try to be more inclusive with their models and, and more real with their models and so forth. And so I guess there they are. I, I have a suggestion for Victoria's Secret. I think they haven't gone far enough. I think they need to go. They need to find some grannies. They need to find some septuagenarians, some octogenarians, some skinny and some chunky and maybe some, you know, that are missing some teeth. I don't know. And get them and, and put them up there and have them take their dentures out and throw on some underwear and uh, have them model. Get some old get get some of our uh, seasoned citizens out there and throw them up there to model. You know they ought to go around and find some of those drag queens. Uh, you know that have been doing their shows lately, been in the news and and so forth. All those drag queens throw throw some of those out there too. Throw you know put that in there. If they really want to be inclusive, why don't they do it? They ought to they ought to go down that road and do it. Find a find some uh, transgendered women that are at various stages of the transition and. Throw some underwear on them and have them up there on the poster as well. Don't even want to begin to imagine what all of that might look like. Well, Victoria's Secret uh, has abandoned their their goal of selling undergarments. In the last year, they are down. The 52-week high for Victoria's Secret stock was $76. And just last month, they hit the 52-week low of $26.14. So their new advertising campaign doesn't seem to be working and like i said i think they I, they haven't gone far enough they need to kick it up they need to they need to get some some old folks some old wrinkly people and and etc and as i suggested and throw that out there and see how it goes for them with that so news out of california his uh, royal highness gavin newsom also known as the governor of the state of california has declared an emergency 
an official state of emergency over monkeypox. I'm going to go ahead and give you a warning here. If you have small children listening or, or young children, you may want to turn this off or have them go somewhere else. It's not going to get explicit, but uh, there's some things here I would not say in front of my own children. So here's the headline. Newsom declares gay sex linked monkeypox a state of emergency in California after allowing gay leather kink festival to go ahead but banned kids from going to school during the pandemic this is from the daily mail out of the uk and this is true so this monkeypox, uh which is disease that is spread a virus uh, that is spread uh, it's not fatal extremely uncomfortable and unpleasant to have kind of like uh, having chicken pox only worse and it is spread through intense uh, prolonged physical contact Newsom declared this outbreak an emergency and only that weekend. So that was on a Monday. So just this last weekend, he allowed a festival, a quote, gay leather kink festival. I don't even want to begin to think what that would look like to take place in San Francisco. This is the same governor who, because of COVID for a year, a year in certain parts of the States, a year and a half, two years completely shut the state down. He shut down churches. Our church was shut down. We couldn't go to worship. You couldn't go to school. Children had to stay home. Kids got behind on their learning. I'm a school teacher. I see it. I know it. I've seen what has happened to the art to our children in the state of California. It was criminal. What was done to our children was absolutely criminal. What hypocrisy. What absolute hypocrisy for the governor of the state of California to suggest that the lockdowns and shutting down churches and schools was going to somehow keep COVID from spreading, right? We could have that discussion and debate at another time while at the same time saying, you know what? No, we're, we're going to let these other festivals take place where people are going to, people are going to get infected. The, de the disease is going to spread for sure. This is not like the off chance that you're going to go to the store or the gas station and you're going to walk around and maybe you get COVID, maybe you, maybe you don't. People are going to get infected at this thing, at, at these types of things, but they're not going to do anything about it. Absolute hypocrisy from the governor of the state of California. Another headline on this topic, this is from an interview with Charles Moran president of the log cabin republicans also known as lcr and if you're not familiar with log cabin republicans it is a conservative or republican group in the gay community they've been around for a long time and the headline here is and this is from breitbart exclusive log cabin republicans president says leftists reject personal responsibility and monkeypox prevention for gay men so Charles Moran, president of the Log Cabin Republicans, told Breitbart News how big gay organizations refuse to criticize the Biden administration's past and ongoing failures in responding to the monkeypox outbreak while noting the vast majority of Americans infected with the virus are gay men. Moran recalled a statement issued by LCR, that would be Log Cabin Republicans, addressing Biden's monkeypox vaccine failures. Our organization came out a couple of weeks ago and issued that press release because we saw that this could potentially be harmful, Moran remarked on Sirius XM's Breitbart News Sunday with host Joel Pollack. Moran observed how certain organizations ostensibly dedicated 
to the welfare of LGBT persons are de facto partisan subsidiaries of the Democrat Party. He said somebody needed to say something because we knew the mainstream media was not going to and we knew that big gay organizations weren't going to say anything because they're beholden to the Democrat Party. So we said something and that's our role. We condemned the Biden administration and the FDA. Moran said there's a manufacturing lab in Europe that actually had stockpiles of the vaccine ready to ship to the United States to get ahead of this. And because of the red tape in the bureaucracy at the FDA and the CDC, these precaution, these precious vaccines were left sitting in a stockhouse for three months before the federal government could get its act together to go actually, quote unquote, and inspect the facilities and sign off on it. He stated, just going with the science, about 90 to 95% of the population who are getting monkeypox are gay men. So there is a lot of scare going on in the community. Moran noted how Democrats and the broader left contradict themselves by simultaneously suppressing advocacy of personal responsibility and the prevention of monkeypox transmission while highlighting the disproportionate share of infections among homosexual men relative to the total population in America. He remarked, it's entertaining watching the left sit here and say, don't stigmatize gays for this being a, quote, gay disease. But at the same time, the health direction is... This would probably be a good time to reduce your number of sexual partners or to limit your different types of exposure. And then people turning around and saying, well, that's just homophobic. But at the same time, turning around and saying, you're not doing enough for our population. Gays are going to be contracting this just like they were AIDS. He added, you've got to choose. You can't choose to be a victim, but also say you want to put a piece of tape over the mouths of health advocates who are who are trying to say these are the things that you can do if you're in the target population to reduce your reduce your risk. But again, welcome to the Democrats. Nobody ever wants to take personal responsibility for their actions. And then this is what happens. Moran observed how many government and ancillary institutions use public health as a pretext to violate constitutional rights. We saw that the justification for the erosion of so many of our civil liberties over the last couple of years has been linked to health reasons Rand stated, I am not surprised with the Biden administration's selection of Javier Becerra to head the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. I'd like to think it was intersectionality and needing to have an affirmative action choice to point Javier Becerra to something like HHS. He continued, I think it's actually a little more insidious than that. I think because the federal government, which has used this health pandemic as an excuse to curtail so many of our legal rights here in America, that they wanted a prosecutor, they wanted an attorney. They wanted an activist AG to take over HHS to continue the militarization of health and the war against civil liberties in America. He added, this is one way that the Democrats and progressives backed by George Soros and his machine can continue to justify taking away our constitutional rights by claiming it is for the health of people. The Biden administration's response to the monkeypox outbreak demonstrated gross ineptitude Moran continued, this is why we as conservatives do not trust the federal government to control our health care. Here, here, well stated, well stated. And he calls out the blatant hypocrisy there of the Democratic Party, of the left. And Gavin Newsom is, of course, driving that train. Some more news on Governor Newsom, His Royal Highness. Out of California, the governor has proposed a $16 billion water tunnel that would run for 45 miles, uh, calling it the Delta Conveyance Project, would take water from the mountains in the north and connect it with the arid south. 
water-starved cities or water-hungry cities in uh, south, south or central California to 27 million of the state's roughly 35 million residents. The governor says that this is necessary to address the impact of rising sea levels and climate change, there's his first reason, bolster earthquake resiliency by minimizing water disruption, provide flexibility for conservation projects in the Delta, and strengthen the state's ability to deliver water. So they say they're going to spend, and it's looking like, my guess is this is probably going to happen. If I had to, if I had to wager on this, it's going to happen. They say this is going to cost $16 billion. This really reminds me of the high-speed rail to nowhere project that they started. It was an idea that emerged in the early 2000s, came to fruition in 2008. It was Governor Brown's brainchild, and it was supposed to cost $33 billion in 2008. So here we are in 2022. Only a fraction of the tracks have been laid. They're still waiting for environmental studies to be done, and it's run up to $113 billion that's been spent on this so far. And you have the state of California begging the federal government under the Trump administration for money, asking for money now, infrastructure money, and all of these things to build this high-speed rail project. Maybe it will get finished, maybe it won't. It's supposed to link the Los Angeles area with the Bay Area with, a, with one of those bullet trains that will go hundreds of miles an hour. But that's how these projects go. So what California really should do is look to the example of the nation of Israel and other Middle Eastern countries. Israel gets produces 20% more water, potable water, than it needs. And it does it largely through desalination plants. So here's another headline for you. This is from just a couple months ago in May. Mid-drought, California Coastal Commission rejects a desalination plant. The California Coastal Commission voted Thursday to reject plans for a desalination plant in Orange County, despite the fact that the state is running out of water in the midst of a drought that has highlighted the need for, for new water supplies. Uh, if you go on and read this, they reject it for among other reasons, because they say that this thing is going to be bad for the environment. This is a project that would have provided millions of, uh, millions of gallons of water every day, potable water. It was supposed to go in at Huntington Beach near Orange County and would have provided, it was going to cost $1.4 billion. They were going to build it. It was going to be a pretty quick build. They're, they have one in Carlsbad, California that provides approximately 10% of the water that San Diego needs. Millions of, or hundreds of thousands, I should say, of San Diego area residents. And so this was going to be a similar project, $1.4 billion. And the one that won in Carlsbad, they've, it's been around for 20 years now, more or less. This $1.4 billion project got rejected. It would have provided enough water for half a million people every day in Orange County. If you do the math, they could take that $16 billion that the governor wants to spend building this pipeline, and it's supposed to take 20 years to build. And it has all these hurdles of all the environmentals. You tell me they're going to let, let this happen. They're going to bypass the, the delta there. And they're going to rip up the ground, the soil. They're going to have to go through eminent domain to get property from from private landowners they're gonna have to go underneath freeways underneath highways underneath roads this huge project i guarantee you it's going to run over in cost and it's going to take here we are 20 years later still looking at this high-speed rail project not being anywhere close to getting finished the same thing's going to happen take the 16 billion dollars and go out and build 11 or 12 desalination plants along the coast of california and if we did that, 
you could provide enough water here by my calculation based on the math for around 6 million people. Why did they not do it? Why did they shut it down? Why did the California Coastal Commission say no? Well, they one of the reasons that they cited was environmental reasons. They say that there's a salty discharge, which is true. They suck up somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 million gallons of water and they desalinate it, however that process works. And some of it evaporates and roughly half of that water gets turned, half of the water that goes into the plant gets turned into actual potable water. And then there is a discharge of water back into the ocean, which is already salty. It's like spitting in the sea. They say the area around where that's going to suck in the water from the ocean, it could, you know, they had protesters out there protesting this plant before it got shut down, holding up signs saying, oh, I'm a plankton, don't kill me. Are you kidding me? And there are plenty of plankton in the Pacific Ocean. Building some desalination plants along the coast of California is not going to de deplete the supply of plankton in the Pacific Ocean. One of the concerns is where it sucks the water in, and the other one is this salty discharge. This discharge that is supposed to increase the levels of salinity in the area around where it comes out of the pipe back into the ocean. If you look at the Carlsbad, the information on the Carlsbad desalination plant, it's true. That actually happened. It did increase slightly above normal the salinity of the water in the area, in the general area where the water flows back into the ocean. I don't know how many, several hundreds of yards or whatever it is, but it didn't kill any of the wildlife. It didn't affect the wildlife of the area that was usually there. It didn't kill the starfish. It didn't kill the other sea creatures that are there that live normally in salty water. Sea creatures have a high, you know, I'm not a marine biologist, but I know that sea creatures have a high, high uh, tolerance for sal salty water. Just uh, right here in our backyard, we have the Salton Sea. And before it got ridiculously salty for a long time, see, people went out to the went to the ocean, they caught live sea fish and they turned them loose. Corvina was one of the big ones people used to fish for out here before they all died. There were Corvina, there were tilapia, other things, and they turned them loose in the Salton Sea. And for a few decades, people were, would go out there and it was a big thing to go out in the Salton Sea and people to catch these huge Corvina in the Salton Sea that had a salinity level several times higher than that of the ocean. So this is absolutely insane. And I will give Governor Newsom some uh, some kudos with this. He actually said, you know, this this uh, desalination plant, it's a pretty good idea. He had a, a rare moment, moment of uh, mental clarity there and said, yeah, this is a good idea. It's a bad idea to reject this plant. Governor Newsom, take some of that money. The state has a big surplus right now. That's going to go away here quickly. The, the economy is about to tank it and the revenue to the state's going to go bye-bye. But take what you got right now and go build some desalination plants. That would be the sensible thing to do. That would be the smart thing to do. But if no, in the state of California, in the state of California, we're going to do something stupid like spend 10 times or 20 times what this is going to actually cost. And we're going to wait decades and decades and decades, and it's never going to happen. And 20 years from now, where are we going to be with the water situation in California? That's about it for this episode. We'll wrap it up with a random thought from Joe Biden. Enjoy. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. It's a fully, I'm not joking. He's not joking, folks. Gotta love how Joe Biden constantly opens his mouth, inserts his foot, and commits all sorts of gaffes, and not just that. 
he says blatantly racist or derogatory things, very foolish things sometimes, and gets a pass. Seems to be the way it is for those on the left. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this first episode and hope you will continue listening. Until next time.